Jerusalem. I want to say that right from the start. Jesus is so very beautifully precious to us, isn't he? Very much. Um, and the journey sometimes is painful, um, but he's a good God. He's such a good God. <clears throat> it's a privilege to share God's word with you this morning. <clears throat> so can I just ask us to pray as we continue to worship the Lord in, a, in the listening of his spirit through his word today. Yeah, Father, thanks so much. It's been beautiful to be part again of the worship service here. Thank you that you are here. And that's why it is precious you're here in the midst of your people. For those at home watching online, may you touch their hearts in a special way as well. Thank you that you're here now and thank you that you'll open your word to us because we want to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to our hearts and to the church. We thank you now and look forward because you're here with us in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew's Gospel and in chapter 24, it's a great chapter, great passage of Scripture, the Lord Jesus, in response to some questions from his disciples regarding end times, excuse me, he begins to talk about the signs of the end of the age. And for example, Jesus warns that many will claim to be him. That, um, that there will be wars and there will be rumours of wars and nation will rise up against nation and there will be famines and there will be earthquakes and persecution and, and there will be hatred of those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. Hatred of his church. And I don't think I've got to persuade you that we're seeing these very things happening today. Exactly as Jesus spoke about. So there can be no argument that you and I are living in the last days, as Jesus described it would be. But I want to draw your attention to a couple of verses in this passage. I don't know whether you've read them lately. I don't know if I have read them and paid particularly attention to them, but I find them particularly disturbing. These words that Jesus spoke in this chapter, and I want to direct your attention particularly to Matthew 24 and verse 10. And it says this, and then I want to read verse 12. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. Let me read it slowly. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Look at verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. I love the Amplified version as well. And if you have a life group, you need to have an Amplified Bible there. It just draws out the original Hebrew and Greek words and amplifies them. But listen to what this says. And then many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him whom they ought to trust and obey and will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. Wow. Verse 12, much the same as the NIV. And the love of the great body of people will grow cold because of the multiplied lawlessness and iniquity. You know, and I'm sure that you'll agree that these are really disturbing words. It's a disturbing prediction, isn't it? I mean, we can handle the earthquakes and the famines and the wars, the rumours of wars and so on, because we're seeing that happening now. But wow, what about the love of most growing cold? 
deserting the things of God? Well, when I read that, there's a question I feel compelled to ask us all this morning, and it's this. In the light of this scripture, how are you going in your own personal one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? How's your love life with Jesus going? How, How would you rate your closeness to and your love for Jesus today compared to say, I don't know, this time last year? How would you rate that? See, I I believe these are the questions God wants to put to us and stir our hearts up and get us to think about how we're travelling in our one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus. It's interesting as I was going through this and I felt God was laying this on my heart, a couple of weeks after this, um, I happened to be listening to a Christian radio station. It was Vision FM. I don't mind mentioning that. I don't normally listen to it, but I turned it on one Saturday morning in the car while I'm driving and, 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 I, and I caught the last few minutes of a particular discussion or broadcast that was going on and, and I heard a term and I've never heard this term before. Uh, maybe you have, but uh, in, this, in this discussion, he used the term quietly quitting quietly quitting or quiet quitting now I didn't realize that that in fact was the description of what's going on in the world and and I'll talk about Christianity in a minute but this guy uh, writer Greg Doherty he, he, he puts this uh, he puts this description to it uh, or definition he says in the secular world it refers so we're talking about quietly quitting okay quietly quitting in the secular world it refers to those who decide to step back and do the minimum requirements of one's job and put in no more time no more effort or enthusiasm that than absolutely necessary I'm not talking about people who are emotionally, physically exhausted and burn out. No, I'm not talking about that group. They're over here. You do need rest. And Jesus is the one who calls you, come to me. Come to me, those who labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm not talking about that group. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about a mindset that's concerning. Um, and, and it is. It's a, it's a concerning attitude or mindset or a practice that is also spreading among believers. Not just in the workplace, but it's happening in the church as well. And you know, just on that point, if you love the Lord this morning and you find that you're struggling in your attitude at work or just your attitude generally about the things of God, about your relationship with Christ, about your workplace, for example... What do I do? How much time and effort do I put into this? Well, then, uh, let me ask you this question. What, what do you do with this scripture that I'm going to read to you now? Where Paul says something in Colossians, I think we need to take note of. He says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Look at this. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. 
my dear friends, we need to get that. In your workplace, whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing, then say, Jesus, I'm doing this for you. You're the one that I'm serving. So I'll clean the toilets. I'll wash this. I'll do that. I'll do the mundane stuff. I'll sit on the board. Whatever it is, I'm doing it for you, Lord. And if you're, if you're really, full, you know, tuned in with God, it's as if he'll be saying to you, but I put you there to do that. And you go, yes, Lord. And so I'm serving you in this. Yeah. Um, but it's a pretty good perspective to have, isn't it? Just have a look at Colossians 3 again. Um, Outreach magazine carried this following article about the church. Let me read it to you. I'm not sure if I get it all, but let me read this to you. For a church to quietly quit, to coast, to do the bare minimum, to refuse to engage the mission with every fibre of its being would be unthinkable. Yet one can't help but feel it's the norm. Churches content with their size, content with their impact, content with the status quo. Pastors who mail in their messages, I don't get that. What does that mean? Pastors who mail in their messages, does that mean they just send it on, you know, in, on the email or something and you just sit down and you read, the, you read the sermon and the pastor doesn't even turn up? Is that what it means? Pastors who mail in their messages and lead at the pace of great ease... Attenders who are more concerned with their needs being met than seeing someone far from God come to faith in Jesus Christ and have their lives totally transformed. That should be the thing that really excites the church. Not coming and saying, well, I hope I get my needs met today. Come saying, God, would you touch someone in this place today who needs to know you? Have their lives transformed. <laughs> I mean, is this what Jesus meant when he's taught this, this thing, this picture I've just painted to you? Is this what it means when Jesus said the love of most will grow cold? You know, is it what it means when we talk about this, this term? I mean, we've got a term for this thing now called quietly quitting. Quietly quitting in their love and their obedience and in their intensity and in their intimacy with Jesus sort of quietly quitting it's a quiet gradual thing you get that you know satan does that don't you you know he works quietly subtly kind of underneath the surface he won't snap freeze you and keep you from he will gradually work on you so that you gradually just sort of drift away and you know the fire starts to to dim down and, and you get a little bit cooler and cooler and cooler it happens gradually it's the quietly quitting type stuff and Satan's an expert in that if you're not on your guard. <clears throat> now, you know this. You know that the love and the passion of God for you has never changed, will never change. He loves you more than, he could, than, than you can understand. He can't love you any more than he loves you now. can't love you any less. And he loves you in that way, regardless of your own personal circumstances, regardless of how much you may um, feel that you've grown or, or haven't grown in your own love and in your own closeness to the Lord Jesus. His love never changes, but ours can. Do you get that? 
By the way, the mission statement of the Sunnybank District Baptist Church is working with God in transforming people into passionate followers of Jesus. How's your passion for Jesus? You can't manufacture this. You can't say, well, I'm going to be a bit more passionate. The Spirit of God in you makes you passionate as you grow with him. And I'm going to talk about that. You can't manufacture it. If you do, then people are going to see you false. (laughs) You want the genuine, authentic product of the Holy Spirit working in you, in you, through you, with you, moulding, shaping, transforming through painful experiences. He works He doesn't waste your pain. He's at work. He wants you to be passionate followers. People want to see that, that there's something different about you. Let me keep going. There's a bit to say. I hope I get through it. Part of the discipleship journey, which which we're all on. As believers in Christ, we're called to engage in this. And that is to make disciples. To make disciples, we need to be a disciple. And to be a true and effective um, disciple of Jesus Christ, we need to be personally growing deeper and deeper in our love for Jesus, in our submission to him. You love him, then you're going to obey him. Don't say you love the Lord if you're not going to obey him. We need to submit to him. And submitting to him is, is, is getting the best. <laughs> or to use the heading of this message, you and I need to be cultivating a closer connection to Christ. How do we do that? I want to try to um, bring, bring out some points here. In the passage from Acts chapter 2, you know, and in other parts of God's word which I'd like to explore, I want to suggest to us that cultivating a closer connection to Christ consists of four essential elements. Four essential elements. Firstly, you'll be captured by the fear of God. If you're cultivating a closer connection to Christ, these things are going to happen in your life. I believe that. This is not an exhaustive list. There'll be so many other things, but I want to mention four You'll be captured by the fear of God. What, is, what do we mean by that? Well, see, in Acts chapter 2, the, verse 43, um, if you've got the New King James Version, it says this, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And then the NIV, of course, says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. So the words fear and awe in this context means the same. However, we know, don't we, that fear in the Bible can also mean terror. It can mean dread. To be afraid of God's judgment, which we know that those who are outside of Christ will certainly experience on the day of his appearing. I don't think we can begin to comprehend the kind of terror that's going to come upon those who have decided to reject Jesus when they, find, when they finally meet him. Isaiah gives a little bit of a snapshot of what that might look like. Look at this, they're pretty scary words, but it's good to read and sober us up a little bit, you know. Isaiah 13, 6 to 9 says this, Wail for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction upon, from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe like a woman in labour. 
they will look aghast at each other. Their faces aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming. And we know that it is coming. There's no question that the day of the Lord will be an absolutely terrifying day for many people. And my precious friends, be sure that you're not in that number. And you won't be. If you allow the Lord Jesus Christ to take hold of your life, you give your heart to him, you turn your life over to Christ. Don't reject his salvation because you're rejecting life if you do. But in terms of devotion to God, it, it doesn't mean those kinds of things at all. It doesn't mean terror and fear in that dread kind of way. Someone once said, um, I fear God, yet I'm not afraid of him. And I kind of get what they mean in that, in that context. It kind of reminds me of a, of a car sticker. You don't see it around, I don't think, at all much these days, if at all. Uh, but there used to be a car sticker some time ago, and it used to get you thinking a little bit. And it says this. I think it'll come up on the screen. No God. No fear. No God. No fear. Yeah. Our God is an awesome God. And in our devotion to God, we fear God. We do, and we mean that by we hold him in great reverence. He's so precious to us. We hold him with reverence, with respect in high esteem. He is to be feared because he is an awesome God. He's the indescribable God. And he loves you and me, and he's personally involved in your life as much as you want him to be. The psalmist in Psalm 89 verse 7 says this, In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. And, the, and I, I believe that the more you grow in your devotional love for the Lord, the more you will find him awesome. And those in Acts chapter 2 found him an awesome God, the closer they drew near to him. Secondly, the more you grow in a closer connection to Christ, the more you will be, um, the more you will be amazed by the love of God. You will be. Again, back in Acts, I think this picture says that every day they continue to meet. Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. So to me, uh, this is a picture of a group of believers enjoying the amazing love of God. What do we mean by the amazing love of God? Well, this could never have been possible. Would never have known what this love of God was, what, was even like had the Lord Jesus Christ not given his life for us on the cross. Folks, that's amazing love, isn't it? In his practice, the, sorry, in his book called The Practice of Godliness, um, Jerry Bridges says this, he says, the love of God has no meaning apart from Calvary. And I think that's true. And that's because the most amazing act of love was ever shown to humankind toward you and me was when Christ died on the cross for our sins. His blood alone makes us clean. Nothing else works. Nothing else. It was only his blood. Otherwise, God would have spared his son if there could have been any other way. But there wasn't. 
It had to be his blood. And you know, when we meet around the communion table, the communion table continues to remind believers of this kind of love. And you'll discover as you grow and as you cultivate this closer connection to Christ that this <clears throat> Calvary love will amaze you. It will amaze you. You know, someone has said that if you were, think about this, if you were the only person who stood on the face of the earth and you were in your sin and in your condemnation, which is what we are outside of Christ, you're in that position. Someone has said Jesus would have come willingly given up his life, died on the cross, go through what he did through just for you if you were the only person he had to do it for. Do you get that? Uh, that's the kind of love he has for you, that you might be drawn back to himself. That's amazing. And in response, are we not amazed and gripped by God's love for us? Just like the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. A beautiful picture. This sinful woman in Luke 7, 36 to 47, and I want to read those verses. She kissed and anointed the feet of Jesus with her, with her tears and with the perfume. And then Jesus says this in verse 47. He says, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. <laughs> but who has been forgiven little loves little? Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. And I reckon she did. And as you grow in your love for God, I believe that God would have you love much. Because you will also grow in the realisation that you have in fact been forgiven much. And the proof is at Calvary. Just gaze upon Calvary again. That's the proof. Let me keep moving. The third essential element of seeking a closer connection to God or to Christ is this continuing desire to know God. There's something in our spirit, I believe, the, the Holy Spirit does this. He wants you to keep on growing and knowing. You won't plateau. If you plateau, then something's wrong. But you won't. You'll continue to desire to know God. Look at this little picture again of this early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know God more and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I don't know about you, but, but again, this speaks to me of believers who are so hungry and thirsty and their desire to want to know God. They met with each other every day. I don't know how they did that in terms of their jobs. Maybe that was part of the culture. They could go there for a certain time and then they'd go off to work. But every day, they were there. They weren't bored. They, they, they wanted more of, of the things of God. They wanted to know this God more. And they met with each other 
to worship God, to know him, this desire to just keep on growing and knowing this hunger and thirst that they had. And the psalmist speaks of that. I love this in Psalm 42, verses 1 to 2. Listen to this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Can I ask you, when did you last say those words? When did I last say those words? When can I go and meet with God again? That's not normal. This is Holy Spirit stuff. This is what God does as you expose yourself to him. Lord, fill me with every, every ounce of my being. I want to surrender to you. I want to know you. And look, just on that point, let me say this. I think I've got it written down somewhere else here. But if you're in a spot today where you're saying, oh, that's all very well for you. I don't feel like that, Pastor. I'm sorry, that's not me. Can I, can I encourage you to do this? Why don't you tell God that? No, I'm serious. He's not going to smack you. Say to God, Lord, I'm struggling in this desire to have the desire to follow you, to walk with you, to, to know you, to love you. Lord, it's not happening for me. Would you help me? It's like the guy who said, I believe, but, but help me in my unbelief. So be honest and be transparent to God. Tell him, I'm struggling, Lord. I sort of plateaued a bit here. I, I'm not, I'm sorry, I, I don't get the, the jollies or the excitement like this guy's talking about. Then tell that to God. Say to him, Lord, would you help me? I, I want to love you more. I want to know you more. I'm finite. You're infinite. Can I ever really fully know you? No. It's an ongoing, growing journey. But it's an exciting one. It's ups and downs. You're going to have bad days. But if you're struggling in the desire, for the desire, then ask God, tell him about that. A.W. Tozer in his book, Pursuing the Knowledge of the Holy, he says this. He says, I want deliberately to encourage this mighty longing after God. The lack of it has brought us to our low present estate. The stiff and wooden quality about our religious lives is a result of our lack of holy desire. Complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there'll be no manifestation of Christ to his people. He waits to be wanted. Wow. And then he goes and he says, too bad that with many of us, he waits so long, so very long. You know, and again, could this be a question that you could openly ask God privately and say, God, would you search my heart? Lord, are you waiting to be wanted in my life like this? You know, like I need air to breathe, Lord. I need you. Like I need water when I'm parched with thirst. Do I have that kind of longing to know you? Are you waiting to be wanted in me? Talk to the Lord about that. Open your heart to him. He sees everything anyway. And again, as I said, let him know how you feel and that you're not happy with that because he's not happy to leave you the way you are. He wants you to keep growing and moving on and becoming more and more transformed and conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. 
And it's a prayer. You pray a prayer like that, that's a prayer I guarantee you will get a yes to. He won't say, I'll wait. He won't say no. He will say yes. Why? Because he already has. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, listen, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. There it is. The sad thing is that there are those who don't hunger and thirst for righteousness. But if you do, Jesus said, I'll meet you and I will fill you. The fourth essential element in seeking a closer connection to Christ. This is an interesting one. Is that there is a deep concern for how our sin actually grieves God. You know, or, or a growing sense of godly sorrow when we get it wrong, when we foul up, when we sin against him. I do. I, I believe the closer you and I connect with the Lord in our love and our devotion to him, the more it hurts us when we know that we've hurt him through our sin. And what I experience and what I've heard others share with me is that the more, more than being afraid that God's going to raise his hand in discipline against them, instead of having that kind of a concern or fear, it's a deep concern, it's a godly sorrow that we have actually wounded the heart, if you like, or hurt or offended the one who loves us so very much by our wretched and at times our unconfessed sin. So we're not going, off oh, sin, oh goodness me, watch out. We're not doing that. We're going, oh God, I'm so sorry. I messed up. I know how much you love me. Well, I think I know how much you love me. And now I've offended you. And the spirit in you is grieved. You know that, don't you? When you get it wrong, when you know you've sinned against God, it makes us pretty miserable. David, when he confessed that confession with Bathsheba, Psalm 51 He says this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And listen to what he says. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. It's against him, him only. We hurt the one who loves us. And Paul in Ephesians, he says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve. Amplified version, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not offend or vex or sadden him by whom you were sealed. And you know, because he is the Holy Spirit, we grieve him, we do offend him and sadden him by anything that is unholy in our lives that's how we grieve him he's the holy spirit anything that's unholy is going to grieve him thank god for these precious and wonderful promises that he gives us in his word that when we sin when we get it wrong we have these promises say for example in 1 john 1 9 that if we confess our sin He is faithful and just. You can say it with me. And will forgive us of our sin. And cleanse, purify us all from all all unrighteousness. What a magnificent promise that is. 
So don't be despaired. We're going to sin against him. Why? Because we wear this stinking thing called human flesh. We drag it around with us. Even though we are born again and our citizenship is in heaven, we know that. But we drag around this thing and it gets the better of us at times. And Jesus knows that. And we have that marvellous promise from him. So don't despair. Don't let Satan kick you and say, there you go, you failed again. You're a loser. You're no good. You're a fraud. He's an accuser. He will accuse you. Tell him to get lost in the name of Jesus because I have this promise. The blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses me from all sin. Don't listen to lies. So this morning... We've seen what those elements are. We've seen four of those elements. As I said, it's not an exhaustive list, so much more. But we've seen four elements in cultivating a closer connection to Christ. So briefly, if I've got time, uh, I want to go through four... I want to tell you how now. You've you've, you've heard what they are. Let me just share with you how. And and I don't think I'm going to surprise you all. This is not new. You see, because it's found here in God's Word... um, I want to briefly just share with you how we cultivate these things now. Um, Verse 42, have a look at it. In Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. There's four things in that that I just want to briefly share with you as to how we do this now. Firstly, be devoted to God's word. You want to grow in a closer connection to Christ? Well, then be devoted to his word. Get into the word of God. No substitute people, sorry. Open the scripture, get into it, read it. Just as your physical body needs food and cannot sustain itself, you will not grow physically if you starve yourself. So your spiritual person cannot grow unless you feed it spiritual food. Cultivate the habit of personal Bible reading. Study the scripture. Meditate on the scripture. I've learnt the habit many, many years ago of journaling. I hate writing, but I love journaling. (laughs) Start writing the verses out that you're reading and God will speak to you. You, The things will jump out of that verse that probably hasn't before. Write the scripture. Read it. Journal your thoughts about it. You're chewing over it. You're doing serious Bible study. And it doesn't have to take you hours. No, a few minutes before you go to work or when you get home. So study it, meditate. Think about what you're reading and how it applies to you. Don't just sort of see it as a tick in the box and I'm a pastor, so I've got to do this. Okay, um, read, yeah, read, 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 tick that box, next one. No, don't do that. Read it slowly, concentrate, chew it over enjoy Lord speak to me how does this what are you saying to me how does this apply to me get into God's word sit under the preaching and teaching of the scriptures regularly and put it into practice people James says that do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves do what it says do what it says number two and three Be devoted to the fellowship and the worship of God's gathered people. Well, I'm going to tread on a few toes here, I think. I love you all. Those of you online, love you all. But listen, God did not intend his people to live in isolation from each other. 
Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Sometimes it's good to go over that passage again. Probably can't quote it completely, but it does talk about don't, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Those kinds of things. Hebrews 10, 24, 25. Good to read that. Lord, what are you saying to me about that? One Bible commentator says, God knows nothing of solitary religion. Things happen when we come together. God's spirit moves upon his gathered worshipping people. We know about COVID. We know what it's done. We know things changed under COVID. My concern is that there are some who are afraid now to take any step and come into the church. Please do not let your fear of what might happen, whether it be COVID, whether it be anything else, God has not given you a spirit of timidity or of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind, right? That's scripture. If you're afraid of something, then that's not good. God doesn't want you to be afraid. You need to get out and come here, or if you're watching, watching online, sorry, I'm getting a bit stirred up here. If you're watching online and you attend another church and there's no reason for you not to be attending the church, folks, get into that church. Be part of the gathered body of God's people. That's where you will meet each other. That's where you'll be ministered to. That's where the Holy Spirit works over a congregation like this and he speaks to you. He will build you up. He will encourage you. He will nourish you and feed you. He will touch your life. And I believe there's something special about the gathered body of God's people. Now, I know there are some that that for whatever reason you can't, all right. But I think I'm talking to some where you can be here but it's become very comfortable to stay at home. If you can, you need to examine your heart before God. Not my call, it's yours with God. You need to say, Lord, what do you think? What are you saying to me about this? Should I be coming back to this church or the church that you may be attending? You see, the church is the body of God's people. It comprises of all believers using and working their spiritual gifts together for the benefit of each other and for the glory of the head of the church being Jesus Christ. Some of these things I think Pastor Darrell actually mentioned last week about the gifts of the Spirit and so on. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 14. You are a member of the body of Christ. You belong to Jesus. He's given you a gift. You need to be part here with the body so that you, if you're a hand, then be attached to the wrist. You need to be gathered to work together to enjoy and to hear what God's saying and to be able to minister to one another. Ministry of the body happens when the body is gathered together. Our worship also and I'm glad we do it. Our worship must also include the breaking of bread as we saw here in the early church. We love that time around the Lord's table and it's at that time, can I encourage you, that when you do meet around the Lord's table, don't have the attitude, oh, we we do this every so often, here we go again. No, it's a time when you say, God, would you speak to me afresh? Would you give me a whole new focus and revelation of the cross of Christ and, and what he did for me? And once again, be amazed and gripped by God's love for you. Let me keep moving on. Folks, be devoted to prayer. 
Cultivating a closer connection to Christ means being devoted to prayer. It's a no-brainer, really, when you think about it. The early church was a praying church. And if you want to cultivate a closer connection to Christ, then you need to meet with him. Simple, isn't it? You want to get to know someone, well, be with them. Spend time with them. Talk with them. Communicate. Jesus wants you, more than you can probably understand, to have time with him. He wants to meet you one-on-one. Personal, intimate conversations with God. That's what you need to do. The one who loves you and who saved you from your sin and your wretched past. Learn to listen to him. The scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Be in that place with him. Be devoted to prayer. Can I also encourage you, you know, be part of a, a group of praying people, of a prayer meeting. It doesn't mean you might be, you know, struggling to pray out loud, but that doesn't matter. Just listen to what God's saying through the prayers of his people. Be in that group. If you're struggling to pray publicly, can I just say, then tell God that. Lord, I'm struggling. I'm a bit embarrassed. People, I can't pray like people do. He doesn't want a fluffy, great, big, wonderful prayer. He wants to hear your heart. Use your language. But be in a group prayer meeting. God speaks to his people through the prayers of his people. You'll hear God speak to your heart through the prayers of God's people. And look, as I've said again, that one of the prayers you may need to be praying yourself is honestly to confess, hey, Lord, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. This whole thing about cultivating a close connection to Christ I'm really struggling here, Lord. I need your help. And he will help you. Let me keep moving. It's the last one. Be devoted to the sharing of your faith. Look at this early church. Verse 47. All this was happening. This incredible atmosphere of worship, of loving God. I want you to know God. Be with God. In that atmosphere of worship, look at what God does. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. No grieving of the Spirit here. God was pleased. God's pleasure was in this place. His Spirit was moving powerfully and they were a witnessing church, a witnessing church to those around them. And people saw the change and the difference in their lives as God moved and his word was preached. So he added to their number. And dear friends, you and I are living in a world where we are among people who are looking for answers, who are looking for hope. And in Christ, you have that hope. Look for opportunities to share it. Don't necessarily have to preach. You don't need to be a theologian. Just share your story. Share how Jesus met you and how he changed your life. Peter says this, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. So my dear friends, how do I end this? Simply by this, I think. If you do the things that you've heard God speak to you about this morning, then you will not be numbered among that group that Jesus spoke of when he said the love of most will grow cold. You don't want to be in that group. God doesn't want you to be in that group. You won't be in that group if you do what you hear God telling you to do. Nor will you be part of this other group that we call the quietly quitters. 
or quiet quitting, quitting, you're not going to be numbered among them if you do the things that God calls you to do. I don't know, have I got it too simple? If we just listen to the Spirit of God, listen to what Jesus is saying to us, do and put into practice his word, you won't be in those groups. He'll take care of that. Can I just pray and I'll just finish with a a benediction I want to bring. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's been a bit of a long one, but thank you that you've still met us and you've blessed us. And Lord, I pray that you'll continue to have your way in the life of us all as your people, as your beloved people, loved so deeply by you, cared for by you, wanting so long by you, longing so so much to to bring into, into being the plan and design that you have for each of our lives. Thank you, Lord. Do it, Father, in each of our hearts, we pray. And just before I bring this benediction, can I just ask if anyone would like prayer, please come over to your right side here up the front of the church. There are people that would love to pray with you. Just listen to you and pray. If you'd like to do that, that's available. Let me close with these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And God's people said, Amen to that. Bless your church.